Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb, and we're recording a little bit late, but we have a good reason. And uh, call time came out on Arena on Thursday, so we waited a day to record this on Friday, so we got to see the uh, streamer showcase event, the early access thing, got to play some ourselves between Thursday and Friday, and now we got a whole ton of stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a weird balancing act we have to put on when these sets are released because we want to get timely information to our listeners. We know that's important, but we also we got to play with the cards before we can really give updated opinions. Otherwise, it's going to just be a rehash of what we did last week. And I feel like I got in just the right amount of play. I have things I'm more focused on now. Some of my evaluations of cards have changed. Uh, so I've done the work, and now there's a worthwhile update to provide to our listeners. So I, I actually don't remember the exact order of our top 10 list last week, but what, what's the Q&D for like what has changed for you? I mean, the biggest thing, and I, I didn't really actually have to play with the card to move it so quickly. Uh, I just needed to get some real down and dirty deck building done. As soon as I started building my decks with Goldspan Dragon, it became very clear to me that we undervalued it. And we still had an eighth. It wasn't like we missed it. But if you were to ask me to do it today, it, it's probably my number one card. There is some contention for that spot, and we'll go through all of the contenders as we do this show. But that that's the biggest shift, is just Goldspan Dragon way, way up. Incredible finisher, combo piece. It just does absolutely everything. Some of the cards that went down, Asika, really disappointed. We'll talk more about that card, but uh, just... You pay three mana, you got to get a really big return. And Asika did not provide it in the games I played. As far as other stuff on the list, I, I think we nailed the common-uncommon spot. Binding of the Old Gods All-Star, absolutely incredible everywhere I've seen it. No real surprise there. We were both very high on that card. But those are the big shifts for me. How about you? Anything change on your side? I Well, like I said, I don't remember the exact order of the list, so it's tough. Okay. Uh, I, I do want to still prove you wrong on Asika. I think okay. that there is something there. Like I, a lot of the decks that I've been messing around with have been engine based. So uh, things with like just Jasper Sentinel trying to make a bunch of mana pretty early and you know figure out some way to replenish the fact that you spent one mana on a card that you know basically doesn't accomplish a whole lot except for have you played against rogues with that card at all rogues with the card no rogues no you have it and you're playing against rogues oh uh i so not rogues specifically but i have had the like the fact that it has reach is very relevant yeah, I, I mean, the card is kind of incredible against rogues in some spot. They play like their Merfolk Wind Robber on turn one, and you're just like, well, that's never connecting for the rest of the game. Well, I mean, you know, there are some some turns where you want to get some mana, right? Sure, but uh, you get you get the scenario. Like, there, yeah, there are yeah. points where you just shut them down with this thing that's supposed to be doing something completely different, and we kind of like laugh at the body and write it off as irrelevant. And granted, Gilded Goose does the same thing, so... It, it's it's not really all that different, but like you can trade with a brazen borrower. That's a big deal. I, I don't know. I, I just think Sentinel has been as good as I thought it would be, which is like fine role player, filling out a lot of space in my decks. And then you get these little points of value where I'm like, yeah, I'm into this card. And so many people were so low on it. I, I don't get it. I think it's quite good. I think it is good as a result of the things that uh, are like the best in the format, right? So it's like mm-hmm. you're... You, you have Edgewall Innkeeper and Lovestruck Beast as these incidental bodies that you, you're just already playing. And so the opportunity cost for Sentinel is very low. And it's not like uh, a Birds of Paradise or even a Gilded Goose where you ramp one to three. It's mostly like you play Sentinel and then uh, a one mana thing and then a two drop. And then on turn three, you have four mana. So it's, it's like a little bit different and kind of weird for people to wrap their heads around. But... Yeah, I'm still seeing a lot of decks where, I don't know, like Gruul, for example. I think that the Sentinel is quite good there, especially when you're going up to Goldspan Dragon. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really seen anyone trying it. So, I don't know. Maybe that'll change. Maybe it will. Uh, I interrupted your thoughts about Asika, though, to rave about Sentinel. I just want to point out that that card doesn't work on Arena. Like, it, it's just, it's not functional. In In what way? 
anything you want to do with it, the arena rules basically will skip over. And this is especially true if you have Magda in the mix. And this is anything oh, with Magda. Like are, Sentinel are you, plus Magna does not work. Yeah, dude, I, I found that out. Yep. I found that disaster. out hard. I don't know how to fix it. Either. Like, you just have to go full control always. Is that the only answer with those two cards? Well, I... <laughs> I think th- I started doing it like main phase or like not cracking my fable passage or keeping a treasure around okay. or, or a, f- a food or something like it's, it's bad. And there, there are definitely instances where you like full control and then you hit space bar and it just takes it off. Yeah. I don't know the solution for this, but at some point you have to stop making cards that don't work with arena, right? Yeah. So basically what is happening is if you have the Sentinel and Magda and nothing to do with the mana at instant speed, and they pass the turn, it'll just go to your turn. You won't get to make the treasure. It's even worse than that, though, because they can, like, target your Magda with a removal spell, and you if you don't have something to cast, okay. you can't respond to that by tapping your Magda. That that didn't happen to me. It was just, like, they passed the turn, and it just went to my turn. I was like, no. Magda went it, wrong in every way it possibly could for me yesterday in combination with cards that allow oh, it to tap. Man. And it, it it's really, really bad, like non-functional for a card that's going to be, I think, an important part of the metagame. Like I, I'd have Magda up from where I had it. Again, I don't know where it was on our list, but it's better than I thought it was. And I, I've played it in quite a few decks, but it doesn't work on Arena. So I don't even know how you're supposed to go forward like that. Yeah, that is that is awkward. Uh, I thought you were talking about Asika not working. How is Asika functioning? Well, Asika does the same interaction with Magda. So I was just never able able to tap Magda. And I I don't think it calculates your mana appropriately. Like it doesn't see you can tap these things in a lot of scenarios. Or maybe I'm just thinking of scenarios where I wanted to tap a Magda to get to a certain mana threshold. But it, it all just felt very clunky and didn't work for me when I was playing these decks with these cards in combination with each other, which is so weird because it's like the most facially obvious combination you could possibly put together. Like they're both legends and this is a card that benefits from tapping. So as soon as I saw Magda, I'm like, well, how can I tap this without attacking? And this is the first card that comes up. So yeah, it's, it's weird because I don't know. You, you would think that there would be some other, card that benefits from from being tapped sure sure and i don't know maybe there hasn't been like a loam dryad type of thing or whatever on arena where this has come up so i don't know i feel like i feel like this will get fixed kind of like the wicked wolf thing like before when wicked wolf came out you had to like full control it because it wouldn't give you priority to sack the food Right. Uh, and, and now it specifically, like, when you play it, it just automatically gives you priority back before it right. does the fight. So I think if you have Sentinel, they might just give you priority at every point, and I would be fine with that. I would be too. That's that's the solution, but that is also a pretty dramatic slowdown in any game you play with Sentinel. I mean, you got to do it. it. You, the card needs to function as printed. But uh, it's weird. I, you you have to think the priority needs to be to get away from cards like this because yes. coding around them is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, for, for right now, I mean, I, I think there are ways to play around it. You just have to be very careful. Okay. So here's which, your warning, everyone. Be careful. Which, yeah, which sucks, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, that's that's not why I play Arena. I want to I go fast. Yep. Yep. Anyway, so... <laughs> Asika kept skipping your turns and not allowing you to make free treasures. Uh, right, so now did, I hate it. Did, yeah, of course. Did that? Do you think that negatively impacted, like what you were trying to do with the deck, or you thought the deck was just flawed overall, or like not 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 necessarily the deck? Period. Because like obviously the list change, they fluctuate, they can get better. Like we both know that, right? But like right. the the shell, I suppose. Yeah. So so I was playing it alongside. Kinnon, we talked a little bit last week about how those cards can work together potentially. The shell, I think, is fine. Asika, I'm sure this colored my perception of the card a little bit, the difficulties in using it. But ultimately, it just was a three mana do nothing in a lot of spots. And that stuff is pretty easy to realize Like when you, you put a card into play and you're like, I'm getting no immediate return from this. The body's irrelevant. Uh, it doesn't scale well into the late game. The backside just didn't matter ever. Like I attempted to cast it once. It's, it's a little awkward to get your mana set up. And if you do have it set up, you might be better off doing other things. But I attempted to cast it once. It was countered in some way. 
So even if it hits though, in the particular shell I was playing it in, there's just like a bunch of dead stuff to hit. Like you just hit a Jespera Sentinel or a Gilded Goose a bunch of the time and you really only have a good hit in like Goldspan Dragon and everything else is mostly a miss in the shell I was playing. So there just wasn't a lot of use for the card. I don't deny that my perceptions of it were probably colored a little bit by it not working, but I'm pretty good at separating the truth from the fiction and was just over underwhelmed in general. Yeah, like I, I don't think it can be that much worse comparative to like a cultivate or something as far as like, oh, this has very little to no impact on the game, but like you're you're expecting it to pay you later, right? Yeah, I, I mean the the baseline for cultivate though is so much higher, right? It's guaranteed ramp for the rest of the game plus a replacement effect. Like you're getting the card back, so you're not actually down a resource. And this is another problem too, is that the decks I was playing Asika in are resource light decks. Like they need to take advantage of every single card present. And in fact, my rebuild, which I expect we'll get into later, was very cognizant of that fact and building in a lot of filtering and card draw in both Opt and Behold the Multiverse. So you you needed to address this core problem. And Asika is just like card negative, not necessarily a huge expansion. It obviously plays well with a lot of stuff. It's incredible with Kinnon. It's incredible with Magda. But you got to find something special to do with that shell. And then beyond that, it's like uh, the card in and of itself isn't going to be good enough. Like just being a three mana plus one mana is is not at all what you're paying for. So there's got to be other synergies. And I don't think the synergies outside of Kin and Magda are really all that present for the most part. Right. I agree with that. I think you need one of the two cards to make it very good. A lot of the stuff that you're saying is comparable to the Sentinel, but obviously Sentinel, you don't cost one, one mana. compared to three. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you're you're not really losing out on a whole lot, especially since like turn three, turn four, those are the big ones in standard, right? But, yeah, the power level just changes very dramatically at that point. Yes. But the things that you're saying, I think, are true, where you just need to find, like, it, it is a thing that makes mana but is a pretty crappy card, you need some sort of like card advantage or filtering or be doing something busted to make up for that. Right. And I think I think that's the thing that we we haven't really figured out, right? Yeah, that, I, that is a hard thing to figure out early, for sure. Like that's not what you do day one of the format. So no argument here. Yeah, so I my, my plan is I want to figure it out still. Uh, I was caught up, I think, how many how many decks do I have built? I have eight eight different decks built that I've played with, basically all in the Naya shell. And uh, Asika is something that I did not get around to, partly because I didn't open any in the 200 packs that I opened. Um, but I I will get there. I I will mess around with it, and we'll we'll see what we can do. Uh, yeah, you should have been better at opening Mythics, Jerry. This is this is a huge letdown for everyone listening to the cast right now. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are like, I opened a bunch of Asikas, you can have them. That would be nice if it worked that way. Uh, not yet, unfortunately. No trading on Arena. No. But yeah, I mean, one man's trash is another man's treasure, you know? Very, very true. Very true. <laughs> and I often am very heavily invested in the trash when it comes to uh, release windows. So, uh, like, I already have four Alrin's Epiphany built. Don't, and I'm sure a lot of people are not in that boat, so. I have one. I opened one. That will change, though. I I'm I'm gonna be there right with you. Maybe not okay, four. Good. Maybe maybe three. Okay. But yeah, like we that. have some like strategical reasons why we like that card right now. Which again, coming up later in the cast, we'll get to all of it. Don't worry. We will. So uh, things things that I started with were Sentinel and trying to use the mana acceleration because, like I said, we already have like a, a pretty reasonable core to use it alongside with. But like you brought up, the problem with the Sika is that you can't really just in, invest this resource. You're basically investing two resources to make a mana, you know, and mm -hmm. you're going to need to do something with that to, to recoup. And there's a lot of good options, actually. There's there's the Great Hinge, there's uh, Showdown of the Scalds, there's, you know, using Magda alongside of it to generate mana every turn and then hopefully paying off with something bigger, which could be like Genesis Ultimatum or something, which are things that I have not really experimented with it was mostly me just trying to make gruel a little bit better and you know see if there are like various splashes 
that you could do. Uh, one of my gruel lists, which I actually like a lot, has four copies of Gadrick, the Crown Scourge, which <laughs> I, I texted you about. And you're like, oh, I forgot that was a card. Yeah, I haven't played much of that one. And uh, I, I tried it in a few spots as well. It didn't work where I was playing it, but I understand the desire to go in that direction and just have these these engines because you you play decks without them and you're like, what's the point? Like one of the decks I was high on last week was Jund and the Jund decks are fine. They are, have powerful cards. You do the Goldspan Dragon stuff and you can protect it with Snakeskin Veil and Vorniclex is there and Binding the Old Guts. All these cards are so, so strong and you definitely get games just on the value that they provide. But then you play a game against an Edgewall Innkeeper and you're like, well, I want to do that. Like, how come I don't get all these cards back? And uh, there's really no reason to leave yourself in a position where you don't have something like that, that you're just extracting huge amounts of value over the course of the game. Yeah, a lot of these these mid-range decks, it's just like you you like binding the old gods them, you like Valky them, maybe you have your own Goldspan Dragon, you're doing these cool things. And then... Decks like Gruul just have like Innkeeper and Great Henge and they just outdraw you, right? And that's that's been a problem for a while. And it just gets to a point where you're like, okay, now I'm a Great Henge deck. In order to be a Great Henge deck, I need to have Lovestruck Beast. If I have Lovestruck Beast, I might as well play Edgewall Innkeeper, right? So yeah. it it all it all kind of comes back to to Gruul or at least green in general, where they just have a lot of the good engines and you can't really do the normal-ish mid-range thing, and that's not even to speak of the Euro index just going over the top of you. Right. So if you're trying to do these things, you need to close windows a little bit, shorten the game in some ways. Like Ember Cleave plus Big Thing is a okay way of doing that, but the problem is that as you go late, that doesn't scale particularly well, and they can play around that particular uh, finisher. So you, you really need to do it in tight windows. And and again, all this stuff just pushes you in the same direction over and over back to these Eldraine cards, which have solved these problems for a few months now. Uh, and I, I think we'll continue to. I question if the wrong card may have died when it was time to handle the adventure problem. I, I know like Edgewall Innkeepers seem safer and it's just a one-one, and everyone should be able to answer it. But it just changes the incentives for every single attacking deck. Like you, you can be the attacking deck and still have that. So why aren't you? And I, I think we're starting to see the first glimmer of an answer to that question in this set. And it's uh, it's showdown of the scalds. But you could also combine that with Edgewall and Keeper if you really want to. So I yeah, don't even I've know if doing that crosses that. that bridge. Yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, the, the thing with Innkeeper is that you're incentivized to hold it in a lot of spots. It's not like, oh, they play it on one and I kill it and now they don't get to draw cards. Normally it's like I'm playing it on turn one if I need it for something else or if I have a second copy and I want you to kill it. But most of the time you're just holding it until you have four mana to play it alongside an adventure creature or until you have gotten the great hand drawn on the battlefield and you're using it to draw cards. Like it's like not not invulnerable to a lot of things, but it, it certainly lines up really well against all the ways that interact with it. Kind of kind of similar to Lucky Clover, where there just weren't a lot of ways to kill it. Or in the matchups where they had stuff that killed it, you just waited until you could like double beanstalk or double bone crusher off it. Yep. So it's just like the the triggered abilities, like I, I used to say this with activated abilities, just like any sort of activated ability that's for free has the, the potential to break in some way. And it's kind of silly. Like a lot of these things should cost mana. And it's the same thing with, I think, Innkeeper and Clover. It's just like, there's no reason that these things should just happen for free. Right. All you have to do is put a one colorless tag on that and all of these problems go away. And the cards are still fine. Like they are acceptable, maybe even a deck is built around them if there weren't so many other power outliers. But you're, you're spot on. That is the problem. Free triggered abilities can always, always be abused. Yeah. So uh, Shepherd of the Flock combos pretty well with Showdown of the Scalds. I don't know if you've been able to do any of that, but it's, it's kind of oh, yeah. nice. No, no, I, I've done quite a bit of that. Uh, again, I, I don't think I hit this when we were doing our ups and downs over our top 10 list, but Showdown of the Scalds, card we had on our top 10, a card we were both high on, uh, from the beginning, but it's overperformed 
what I thought it would do. And uh, steps two and three of this saga, extremely meaningful. And I think they have been downplayed throughout this card's brief existence until you've finally gotten to cast this card and gotten that benefit, especially with something like uh, Shepherd of the Flock, where you're just getting rebuys all the time. And, and when you build around the card and it made your curve nice and low, you get paid in spades. And you can finally do the card advantage thing and compete with things like the Gruul decks, uh, like Urian, any kind of control deck that has the ability to go long. And that's what's so weird about it is that the identity lines are just completely blurred at this point. Every deck needs to be built in such a fashion that they have these kind of late game plans. So you would expect, okay, yes, the Urian deck gets to do its thing if we get into the late game, and that's just... It is what it is. It outscales the aggro decks, but the aggro decks do it too. So everyone is just doing this thing where they accumulate ridiculous amounts of resources and uh, either participate or find a way around it all. Yeah. So initially I wanted to to use this kind of like Escape to the Wilds, right? And just like a mid-range shell, you just ignore chapter two and chapter three. But to get the most out of this, you really want as low of a mana curve as possible. Yes. So... I initially thought like, yeah, this this might be fine in your index. Like maybe you don't jam it on turn four, but maybe it's like a, a turn five or a turn six card. Make sure you get to play a land, maybe play a two drop off it and then blink it later down the line. And I think the fact that it's just so poor in decks with five mana cards early that you just don't even necessarily want to play it in those decks. Like yes. if, if I had to play it in a Urian deck, I would maybe play two copies, like definitely not a lot. But in in something like Boros, uh, I think you you were the first person to send me uh, a list that was like super low to the ground. My first version had like way more three drops and was maxing on gold span dragons. But the first time you hit a dragon off of it, you're like, well, I can't do anything else. So yep. what's the point? And then Martin Juza was tw- tweeting about it too. And his deck is just like, yeah, caps at, at showdown, a bunch of like one mana and two mana things. And it's like, yeah, that's right. That's that's the way to do it. Yeah, I started uh, moving all of the spectrum, really, with Boros. I, I had decks that looked more like yours. Uh, I had like basically got to Boros during my Goldspan Dragon obsession and doing it with like Sajiri. What's the protection double-faced card? Sajiri something. Shelter. Yeah. That was, that was what brought me to this point. But then playing the games a little bit, I was just like, well... Goldspan Dragon, great magic card, unquestionably going to have a lot of success in this format, but that's not what this deck is about. This is this is a showdown deck, and I just need to maximize this card, and the Goldspan Dragons decreased over time, the curve got leaner, Shepherd of the Flock got in the mix, and once that happened, the deck really started to take off. I, I do still like Magda, actually, in combination with the card, even in the absence of Goldspan Dragon, just because I, I think you do a really good job leveraging the mana advantages that card provides. Like, you're just not supposed to have access to that as a Boros deck. And the fact that you actually prefer Maul of the Skyclaves over Embercleave in this deck further incentivizes me to look to Magdux when that card gets evasion. You just start the ball rolling and are able to pull really, really far ahead. To say nothing of the fact that your deck is like loaded with three ones, which wear them all the Skyclaves very well. So if you're tooling with this archetype, I strongly advise leave the Ember Cleaves at home. I, I know that's shocking, but Maul is the better equipment here. And uh, I, I actually have quite enjoyed Halvar as well. I, I think you don't need a lot of copies, but both sides of it play pretty well. And then you just have the opener of Season Hollow Blade, Maul of the Skyclaves, Halvar, and that beats a lot of people. There's just some decks that have zero answer to that. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I mean, funny thing about Embercleave too is it, it has kind of the same problem with Showdown uh, that yes. Goldspan Dragon yeah. does, where obviously if you hit it kind of like in the late game, you already have like a wide board and cool, but a lot of the time it's going to be like, well, do I attack with my one or two creatures and play this, you know, very, not very impactful Embercleave, or do I play out like the two extra creatures I get off the showdown, you know? And a lot of the time you're just like, well, I'm just going to keep developing my board, obviously, right? Uh, so yeah, Embercleave doesn't play super well. Maul does. It's cheap. Uh, it's it's like very, very good, very solid. The problem with it before was that white didn't have a lot of playable stuff, and now you do. You have Redain, you have Usher. What else? I mean, there's there's just like a lot of actually solid white cards. Was that it, though? Like we, we just got Usher and like things change? 
Usher was the big pickup, but it's it's meaningful, like two one for one with a nice ability tacked on and also ability that, again, plays well with Skyclave, where you just have this evasive threat and you're able to get really wide. Uh, I, I think it's it's been important. Usher's been impressive. Just opening the curves where you go one drop, two drop, and that in and of itself puts your opponent under tremendous pressure. Like I was playing a game with Boros. I went turn one Usher the Fallen. They went turn one World Tree. And I'm like, well, this game's over. Like, you, you can't keep up anymore <laughs> where I have this opener and you're just taking a turn off. And before, because there was no one drop that punished that kind of opener, you were completely fine with it. Uh, so I, th- I think Usher is a subtle but dramatic shift to the way these decks can potentially play. And uh, I, I've been impressed with that card as well. It's been quite good for me. Yeah, it's it's been quite good to you. Uh, there have been a couple turns where... You know, like I'm, I'm skipping playing, you know, my my extra two drop or whatever just to make a token against a yep. deck with sweepers, and yep. that's been nice. Like you just you just get to keep the pressure up, spend your mana, still contribute to the battlefield and everything, and not necessarily have to give up a card. Uh, Magda, Magda in these decks has been nice. I've I've generally liked spot removal and like Skyclave Apparition because I think they like Glass Casket and Apparition are just both very good cards against mm-hmm. the vast majority of decks. And this deck would otherwise have a pretty big love struck beast problem. I mean, you have like Maul and things like that to get around it, but just having like a good cheap answer is, is certainly nice. And being able to use Showdown as a way to just kind of like grind your opponent out, make sure that you get to like kill their Croxes or whatever, and not get tempoed out while you're just accumulating a bunch of card advantage, I think is really nice. Yeah, so my list has just been shocking and trying to end the game. And I think shock, like if you're trying to maximize your showdowns, I I think shock's the better card for that, but that's not the only part of the equation. Like you said, there are real cards you have to answer love struck beast among them being that I do have like four malls where some other people didn't, I think I was better suited to play around that. And then you just like shock the one, one and they can't attack and you're in a fine offensive position. Uh, That's come up a bunch of times. So I, I see the merits of both approaches. Also, I'll, I'll point to Giant Killer. I think Giant Killer is quite good right now, not only to answer the Love Struck Beast problem, but also Goldspan Dragon, very fine answer to that card. And tapping stuff down, you just find so much utility for it. So uh, I started with a low number of Giant Killers in my list, added one to the main deck, a couple to the sideboard, but I could see playing even more in the main deck. I'm just finding good targets for it right now. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely very good. Uh, a little bit of a clunker, but I don't know, probably more relevant than than casket. So I should probably have a mix. I just had the eight one drops at Fireblade Charger and Usher, and definitely wanted a couple more. Yeah, I could see expanding that. Uh, like I said, the the difference when you're able to play those aggressive games. Very, very different uh, from the way these decks were playing before. What's your experience been like with Fireblade Charger? I know I was a little higher on the card than you were. Uh, it's done some work with me. It combines really well with Showdown of the Scalds. There's the backside of uh, Halvar, where you get recursive abilities from this threat. All, all of this stuff has come up for me. You said it wasn't quite that good for you. So I, I like the card in general. I think that it should be good, and there were definitely a lot of situations where I was trying to you know, mitigate the effects of the sweeper, and it's like, well, I could just jam them all this turn, but then it's really awkward for my follow-up post-sweeper because I only had four mana or whatever, so I can go like charger plus give it haste with them all. Right. You know, so it's like the abilities matter for sure. They definitely matter. But you were like talking about, you know, trying to put your opponent in locks or whatever, and I just never had that come up because either they were very dead or they're, they're just able to ignore the three in the air. You know, it's basically like, okay, this thing is unblockable, sure, and they have to find a way around it. That was kind of my experience with it, where it seems good in theory, but they can just end up ignoring it a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, or or they or they die to it. You know, it's you never actually get full value, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, I had a few spots where just like showing on the skulls was active, and I was able to put enough counters on the card where they they – had no outs. Their outs were just completely closed. Um, yeah. I, I think your point of having Showdown of the Skulls running means you have resources and you can probably find other ways to win. Uh, that's fair. But 
in general, you're you're one drop hungry. You have some really nice combinations. The four mana play of like slam this and put a mall on it does come up sometimes. So I I went down to three copies. I started with four and I got some giant killers in the mix. I still like the card, even if it doesn't always put your opponent in the squeeze. I think there is enough utility for it. And I also have more copies of Halvar than most of these lists I've seen have. So maybe that's influencing my opinion a little bit as well, because then you have access to the three mana, play this and put a uh, equipment on it. So that that's certainly a little bit different than the more expensive, like four mana or five mana combinations you're talking about with Maul of the Skyclaves. Yeah, uh, I so I think I agree with you in going down to three copies. Uh, I mostly didn't because I I didn't really have another good one drop I wanted to play. I had giant killers on my sideboard, and selfless savior was like the other one that I was considering. But yeah, mm-hmm. just giant giant killering in the main deck makes a lot of sense. One of the the, th- the reasons I didn't like Fireblade Charger was because of how it split the mana more towards fifty fifty. Yep, and yep. ideally, I would just you know, be able to play Usher on turn one and Skyclave on turn three and not have to worry about it too much. So like shaving on Fireblade and going to like a a 60-40 type of thing for white versus red would definitely make me pretty happy. So yeah, there's probably versions of this too that are really hard white and just basically showdown splash. I I think it's possible that that's a successful deck as well. Well, (laughs) I will, I will caution against that. So in in my uh, like my journey to try and find how to break these engines right showdown among them you know it was like playing showdown index with goldspan dragon it's like okay that doesn't really work so trim the dragons uh and then i play it in like normal gruel or whatever and it's like okay this is this is fine but i'm still having games where mostly against decks like Urian, but certainly there are some setups uh, in mirror match type situations where they also have an engine going or like against Jun where they've just got a bunch of card advantage and spot removal and stuff where they would just be able to like kill my reload and then I would just draw a bunch more cards, play out a bunch more power and they would just like kill my reload and eventually beat me by going over the top of me. Like in the case of mm. Urian, it's like Ugin, Eerie Ultimatum, uh, Dance of the Mance, like all these different things and I could just like draw my deck and still not beat them. So I think haste is the way that you're supposed to do it. Okay. Because it, it like showdown's so weird, right? Because you can't have like these big cards. You can't you can say like, oh, you're gonna go so long. Uh you can just have like a a bunch of Vorincluxes in your deck. And it's like, no, because if you hit that on off showdown, it's bad, right? So you need to have like this way to go over the top of people that is also very cheap that you can play off of showdown. And I think it is just like the little crappy haste creatures and using chapter two, chapter three to just every time you like showdown, bounce it, replay it, you get to reload and like hit them for five. That makes a lot of sense. So you're mostly focused on things like robber of the rich at this point, I'm assuming is a big part of this. Yeah. I, well, it meant that I played robber in my Boros deck instead of you know, more Magdas or okay. more Luminarch Aspirants or whatever. And it was one of the things where I'm like, okay, I ha- actually have to keep Fireblade Charger in the deck to some degree because mm-hmm. you actually need need that reach to be people. And I don't know, maybe that's not going to be everyone's experience, but like I, I lost to like basically all the cards I named when playing this Naya deck. And it was because I didn't really have anything with haste to kill my opponent with. Okay. Uh, This all makes sense because uh, I I certainly have felt the value of haste several times. Uh, I haven't had any decks with main deck, Robber of the Rich, but I have brought it in in sideboard games and notice exactly what you've been saying. Uh, So that makes sense. And again, earlier in the show, I referenced the closing windows. This is one way to make that happen. You don't have to just sit there and let your opponent do their rebuilds. You can punish them on turns where they have to try and deal with your setup. And one of the best ways to do that has always been reach creatures, or excuse me, haste creatures. I don't expect that'll change. Yeah. Yeah, so building around showdown has has been pretty interesting. I do think that there are other versions, like just playing it in in normal gruel with Edgewall Innkeeper and, you know, Shepherd of the Flock is an adventure creature, so like that combos pretty well. And then uh, I still like playing like two great henges, but again, it's another card that's like kind of awkward with showdown. And mm. showdown means that you have this like secondary engine anyway, so you don't need to go as hard on it. But just like, yeah, I was playing like all the adventure stuff, showdown, 
couple hinges. And that was kind of what I was just getting smashed with. Uh, so I don't know if that means, you know, you do you just kind of have to risk it, play like a slightly higher curve with questing beast or something, or maybe it's like you just, you take the L and try and find ways to beat those decks in post board games or something. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't quite figured it out yet. Here's something that's just gestating as we have this conversation. So maybe this is going to be pretty quickly revealed as not the way to go. But what if the, the showdown splash was on the white side? So you're closer to base red. You get the hasty stuff like Robber of the Rich, but instead you put in a little bit more reach, maybe with like Royal Eruption and Shock, things that can actually go face. And you still use Shepherd of the Flock, so you have resets and you're able to just get really, really deep in your deck, but as opposed to trying to establish these battlefields, which you can still do. Like, I still like the idea of having the haste creatures, but now these things are burn spells that are headed towards your opponent's face and like burn spells that are combining really well with the small haste creatures. So you play Robber, fire off a shock and a royal eruption at your opponent's face, and they're taking let's see, what is that? Five damage plus four from Robert. They're taking nine damage out of nowhere. I I could see that if the burn spells were actually good, but sure. I don't, I don't think they are like the fact that love struck beast exists means that you can't put like volcanic hammer in your deck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand the flaw there. So I'm searching arena for haste and this is for like the second time this week basically and i see embereth paladin which is like your invitational card so mm. you could be you could be the answer to all the problems i'm ready put me in coach uh yeah i, I think it is just like the small haste creatures but then that doesn't play well with the adventure stuff i mean you could still play robber the rich or brushfire elemental in those decks but like i think you need kind of like a higher density of them, you know, it's not just like a play like four brush fire elementals, you know, like mm. you need, you need like six or so haste creatures, I think to be able to continually do that. But I don't know. I want to talk about another way to address this problem. And it's something I alluded to earlier in the show and something that I've been messing with. Uh, there's, there's obviously pure haste and then there is fake haste as I like to call it. Fake haste is given to you by time walks and Alrin's epiphany, I think is a card that people aren't particularly hyped about because you compare it to some of the other time walks we've seen recently. And it just looks worse. Seven mana, unless you're getting the foretell discount and then you're actually paying eight mana for it. You're getting these two stupid birds to come along with it. It's a sorcery, not an instant. So you compare it to something like Nexus of Fate. And I, I think the hype isn't there, but my theory is that if you have an archetype that benefits from a time walk, it actually doesn't matter what that time walk costs. Like you'll pay eight for it. You'll pay nine for it because the way it changes the gameplay pattern is what you're actually interested in. You're not interested in mana efficiency anymore. You're just interested into, I need to access multiple combat steps in a row. That's how I can close out games. And one of the things I've been doing with my Goldspan Dragon decks is looking at Alarin's Epiphany in combination with Goldspan to just create these huge snowball swings in the game where all of this mana I've built up over time, be it through Goldspan Dragon or Magda, is able to just be dumped into Epiphanies, which becomes more mana and more advantages and just a hard, hard snowball. Any interest in those type of setups? Have you messed with this card at all? Uh, not with Showdown, but I like it, if you're, especially if you're able to like foretell it early. But mm -hmm. again, this this is a card where if you hit it off showdown, it's basically blank. So I don't like it for that reason. I don't know if there's any way to actually like get around that. But it 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 certainly changes the paradigm, right? Where like if if you're able to uh, showdown into this, you get to play this, and then you have you even get the two birds to like put the counters on. I think that that matters a lot. Yep. And I I, I agree with you, like. If your deck is interested in time walk or if a matchup dictates that like time walks end up being very important for creating these huge tempo swings, you will pay basically whatever because it doesn't really matter. But it has to be castable within that window, which I think this one is. And the little bit of added value you get is pretty nice. Yep. So I like this card a lot. I'm not sure how it fits with Goldspan Dragon because it's like, if, if you play Dragon and it doesn't die, 
you're usually good against most opponents. But if you play it and it does die, then your time walk doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. So it kind of seems like win more, but there are definitely going to be scenarios and situations where, you know, against Gruel, you can't deal with like their innkeeper and their great hinge and whatever. Like you're going to need to temple them out. You can't play this like controlling game. So like maybe this is the way. Yeah. So I haven't done this much with Showdown either. Where this card has come to me is in two shells, basically. The first being the Kinnon stuff we talked about earlier. Uh, I, I think that deck in particular needs to do its thing, close the door. It, it just can't mess around for that long. It needs to have these huge mana explosions. And uh, with Goldspan Dragon, I was winning games on turn, virtual turn four. Obviously, I had taken some extra turns with Alrin's Epiphany. I basically made the deck super lean, got it to a place where it's very focused on the mana engine, and then a bunch of Fortel car- cards. So saw it coming. Alrin's Epiphany and uh, Behold the Multiverse to do reloads. Ops in the mix as well now. So just all of these things headed towards one point once you get your mana engine going with Kinnon, Magda, Jaspera Sentinel, Goldspan Dragon, all those stuff working together. And I was very impressed by it there. The one ones matter a lot. I think it's quite good. And then I'm just playing it in small numbers in the more traditional like red blue tempo stuff which is the other deck besides like showdown stuff that really impressed me on day one and this is just like goldspan dragon brazen borrower counter spells I, th- I think lofty denial is a huge part of the picture here and maybe both of these decks with goldspan dragon it plays incredibly but also a lot of these decks are just doing other flying stuff like in particular the kinnon deck has gilded goose to turn it on really early the more traditional tempo stuff has brazen borrower so you have more flyers and just having access to your counter spell on turn two is what these decks want a lot of the time they want to prevent your opponent from starting their game plan uh so i, I want to explore that card a bit but there's there's just a lot of decks that are supposed to get ahead for a very small window and close the door and i think Alaran's epiphany is the best way of doing that i've found in the set thus far yeah, Lofty Denial is nice because you, you were talking about the different scenarios where you have Goldspan Dragon, they don't have a counterspell, but they have like a Heartless Act or whatever, and the different ways that you could use to protect it with the treasure that you get when it gets targeted, right? And yep. you were talking about like, oh, I saw it coming, but only if you foretold it earlier. And I'm just like, oh, that's that's like kind of gross and mopey. And Lofty Denial probably does it in the vast majority of situations, right? I think so, especially when you're conceding, like, okay, I don't have this type of engine built into my deck. I can't go along with things like Urian, and now I can't even go along with things like Showdown of the Skulls. They'll just outvalue me. So once I've conceded that point, I'm going to close these games very quickly. If I get to the late game where Lofty Denial is dead, I'm probably dead anyway. So let's just wrap this up earlier. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And then Brazen Borrower is a card that is very, very underplayed right now. and. I don't think it's because people are like, oh, this card is bad. I think it's because there just have not been a lot of blue tempo-y style decks that people have been trying out. And maybe that'll change. I think that the shell that you're proposing looks pretty solid. And I don't know. So we made this list of like other things to talk about that we haven't messed around with. And one of the the cards is uh, Fira's Retribution, the white-black... Uh, saga that makes an angel and then does some other nonsense, right? Mm. And every single person I've watched stream who has had this in their deck, regardless of whether or not like they just got attacked for five by a lovestruck beast, have no answer to it and play the card, have just been like, man, this card is awesome. It's like, I, yeah, okay, I hate this you're, card. <laughs> you're you're still getting attacked for five, but yeah, you know, keep telling me how great it is. Yeah, man, they, they've all loved it. And one of the big problems I saw with this card is is just Brazen Borrower, period. You know, yep. it still has a Love Struck Beast problem, too. So I have not put that card in many decks. There, there are a couple that look interesting that I want to try, but I'm at no point am I like, oh, yeah, this is going to like solve all the formats problems or whatever. But people just love this card and Brazen Borrower is so good against it. And Brazen Borrower is also just like, you know, good against almost everything that people are doing right now. 4-4 four, four does not block in this format. It's just too small. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but like you get outsized by so many things. It's it's not good. And 
like, is it good that you can slow down Goldspan Dragon? In in some ways, yes, but in other ways, like, you're not really coming out ahead in that exchange at all. And the downside is, if I'm playing Goldspan Dragon alongside Brazenbarrow, you're getting wrecked when you play this card. There's just no way for you to come out ahead. But I think Brazenbarrow does that in a lot of spots. Like all the stuff with Maul the Skyclave, Brazenbarrow plays into very, very well. So th- there's a bunch of windows for that to work. But yeah, I I am a little perplexed by the hype around Ferger's Retribution. Not a card that I was high on at any point in the preview cycle. And having seen it in play, all the problems I thought it would have are still present. And to say nothing of the fact that like the surrounding archetypes for this card are just like, they're more of the mopey mid-range stuff. There's no real engine there. There's no real card advantage. So you do your thing and... In a very few instances, it'll be good enough and you're able to close those windows. But in most instances, even the smallest aggro decks will outscale you as you get to the late game. So, Yep, I, I agree completely. I, I think that there's going to be a, a pretty quick turnaround on people who love that card. But I don't know. We'll see. Let them keep casting it in the meantime. Yeah, free wins are always nice. So. Uh, no wins are free. Everyone's Everyone's deck has busted cards, right? But they're definitely at a, a disadvantage. What about Valky? Because you started with Jun stuff, right? Yes. Uh, that is kind of where I wanted to first do Goldspan Dragon stuff because uh, Valky plays very well with those setups. I have had, uh, I've done the Vorniclex play Tybalt, immediately ult Tybalt. It was great. I really enjoyed it. But uh, this is the same complaint I have echoed throughout the show. There's there's no engine in Jun setups. And I I think Valky needs to find its engine to slot into. I think it's probably just things that look like traditional Rakdos decks, like the whole timer at Croxus stuff. That's close enough to an engine and has some aggression built into it that I think you can get away with it. But in terms of just like playing fair Jund, doesn't really work. The card itself, great. I'm very impressed with both sides of it. Um, I, I think it slows down your opponents in key spots. It turns into like love struck beast defensively sometimes, which is pretty incredible. Obviously, it's ceiling is you turn into Croxa and then you just run away with the game. That feels really, really good. So facially, card is impressed. I'm very comfortable. I think we had it like number two on our top 10. I'm comfortable with saying the card is that good. Uh, the homes, though, are not quite what I expected them to be, and it's just another card that has to find its engine to sit around, probably more traditional Rakdos. Yeah, I, th- I think that it has to move down just because, like, when we had it that high, I thought it was going to show up in multiple spots, and now I'm less convinced that it it has a home in a lot of different places just because of the nature of the format. Right. Okay. So, yeah, it's... Sense. It's it's fine in Rakdos, whether you want to do like sacrificey stuff or more traditional stuff. Uh, it, it has looked solid there, but obviously like those decks already have a, a pretty solid late game with like Croxa and Oxmaganus, and you're very rarely going to be casting Tybalt, but I'm sure when you do, it's going to be good. Yeah, maybe maybe there's another way to do that kind of stuff where you're you're more of like a Goldspan Dragon deck. And I'm, I'm trying to think like what your advantage engine looks like in that scenario. But it seems like it still runs into the same Jun problems where it's just like, what am I supposed to do going long? I mean, maybe you do like bridgey stuff. Uh, I know that's starting to pop over in, in modern a little bit, but it doesn't really do the same type of stuff in standard. So I, I don't know how to make this one work. So Goldspan Dragon in... Rakdos, at least like the traditional ones, I don't really like because Rakdos is like Oxymagonis is similar to Showdown, basically, where you just want a bunch of cheap stuff so that it's kind of like the last card in your hand. And when you refuel, then it means you get to like play out all your stuff immediately. Right. And you want to just play your cards and get them to trade so that you can keep escaping things and having five drops doesn't really enable that. It's like it's just it's a good card. You can just like put it in your deck and it'll be fine, you know, but it, it doesn't really mesh with what the deck wants to be doing. So I don't know if, if I was like, oh, I want to use Goldspan Dragon in my Rakdos deck to give Valky more versatility. I'd be like, well, why aren't we just playing Jun for like some mana acceleration and binding the old gods? And then yeah, and then you end up just, with the deck with no card advantage that right, can't play yeah. that game. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I understand. Egon has looked good. 
at least uh, Throne of Death has looked good yeah. from, from what I've seen. And the Pathway certainly helps that deck a ton. I've mm-hmm. played against some Sacrifice decks with Immersturm Predator, the I don't know, Falconrath Aristocrat wannabe thing and yep. they're they're cute but like they they have the same problem it's just like i i think the last match i played was with boros against them and i just like showdown them to death very easily yeah yep emmerstrom predator is a card that has played better than i expected it to i'll say that i want to look at doing something with that card in like a mardu shell where like Fireblade Charger is part of the mix, and there's some Sacrifice Fodder you can take advantage of. Maybe like even Skyclave Shade is is something you're supposed to be doing. I don't I don't know exactly what I want to do with the archetype, but I'm I'm going to take a look at it, try and flesh it out a little bit. I suspect it will ultimately prove to just be like worse Boros, but this still kind of plays a little bit with showdown of the scalds where you can have a bunch of cheap sacrifice fodder and you can still do the resets with the shepherd of the flock you can still do resets with shepherd of the flock and use that as fodder so i'm going to check that out but i am skeptical that it ultimately comes together where should we put vorinclex like in what decks uh, i don't have an answer for you uh, the card is impressed again facially does its job. It did exactly what I wanted it to do the times I cast it. Sagas just shut down. It feels incredible. And like I said, I did the Tybalt thing, which is not why Vorniclex is there. Like, I don't think you need it to be a win more, but if it happens, it feels pretty good. Um, but where is it supposed to go? I don't really have an answer for you. And maybe Gruul just continues to get bigger. That has some appeal to me. If if you need to be able to break through these late game scenarios with Urian, I mean Urian is using a lot of sagas right now, so you could you could convince me that this is how you're supposed to go, and there's a copy or two in the stock rule deck, maybe. Uh, but in terms of just like building around the card, don't really see a home for it yet. Yeah, I want to do it in Genesis Ultimatum stuff, but I was definitely more caught up in abusing Showdown and you know, just like cheaper engines in general. So I haven't quite gotten to like the go big stuff, but I do mm-hmm. think that, that Ugin looks really good right now. Ugin looks great. I'll say this, the counter magic in this format is quite a bit better than it's been in a long time. Saw it coming has been good, but more importantly, if lofty denial is turned on or if there's just disdainful strokes around, I think that's really the big ad. That card exists. I am not super sure I want to play strategies that just try to jam Ugin. It's one of the reasons why I haven't done like the mono red gold span dragon stuff. I, I think you're just going to run into a lot of brick walls in the form of counter spells where you're expecting this one thing to be good. You don't really have card advantage typically in those type of decks. So maybe something closer to like adventures, Genesis ultimatum setups where you have a secondary engine have more appeal. And again, I can see that maybe going to something like Vorniclex less so Ugin, obviously since you're playing the battlefield, but while I like Ugin conceptually, I am very wary about the amount of good counter magic being played right now. Ooh, I'm, I'm kind of down with Big Red. I like the look of the list I had. Like Conceptually, it made sense, but you have to just never face a, a counter spell under any circumstances. I think that's okay. I think a lot of people are not playing counter spells right now. Okay. My, my experience, uh, low ladder, because I haven't been playing it very much at all, a, a lot of... Is it tempo stuff floating around? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, that could be just, you know, completely anecdotal. I started in, in bronze four and after my two sessions, I'm in platinum and I have not played against much of that stuff. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to see. Obviously we're at the metagame formation stage right now. So yeah, we'll see where everything settles and, you know, all of this too. It's like, just because there is a overall weakness to counter magic, that doesn't necessarily dictate that there isn't a good spot for this deck to have a strong week where counter magic is really, really far down. So keep it in your pocket anyway. I just have a sense that the format will settle in a place where counter magic is widely played. Yeah. Uh, snow decks. Have you played against a lot of these? Yeah. And I haven't seen much that impressed me. Uh, I myself worked on Jorn a little bit, but more aggressive takes on Jorn, and it didn't quite have the payoff I was hoping for. It's possible I just didn't build around it enough or try and take advantage of 
the kind of instant speed nature, I was mostly trying to power up ember cleaves and it didn't really work. Um, that's fine. That's not really a knock on the archetype generally. I, I'm starting to see some more controlling looking shells. You shared a list with me that you've been working on, um, a little bit more focused on like blood on the snow and, and getting big. I'll have to take a look at that. It feels a little mid-rangey to me in a format where mid-range is going to get hard punished by both aggro and the really big decks. So it's got to find its own identity and something it does better than existing mid-range decks. Don't be the smaller mid-range deck. That's that's the big hard rule when it comes to Magic in 2019, 2020, and now 2021. So I am concerned that you'll fall into that spot with Snow. Uh, some of the individual cards, though, again, very, very good. I've liked Frostbite. Uh, getting things for three damage has come up a bunch of times. Tundra Fumarole leads to some really big turns. I don't know that we've quite figured that card out yet. And I think the sizing is a little off too. Like you need to really do five damage. And I, I wish the card just did five damage because then I think it becomes very interesting. Uh, but at four damage, I'm a little concerned it will never quite find a rule. Yeah, that that card has has been like interesting where it's just like, oh, it's it's like almost a free spell, but like what do you do with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So in my big red deck, I was, I have things like Maze Mind Tome. I have things like Solemn Simulacrum, particularly for the idea that I want to be able to get a return on this. And obviously, like Ugin is another colorless spell you take advantage of. There's also the land where you just use it to activate your land on that turn, which I think is a pretty nice swing. So there's, there's uses for it to be sure, but you have to work around it a little bit. Yep. Have you played against, uh, Redain with any of these snow decks? I or have like, not, you know. no. Okay. No, I, ac- I actually haven't seen a Redain in play that wasn't my own. I, I don't think people are as high on this card as you and I are. Okay. It's it's weird. I think I think that it's been good, and I've definitely played against people who have had Snowlands in their decks, and it, you know, <laughs> you can just see, like, how they shift from yeah. games one to two, where it's like, all right, you know, I'm playing out all, all my pathways, so I have all my good mana, and then you play Redain, and, like, their next land is just, like, an ETB tap snow forest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the next game, they're, like, snow land, snow land, snow land, and, like, holding their pathways. Yep. Uh, so that is that has been humorous to me. And playing, like, these longer games against Urian decks, it's been kind of difficult to tell the efficacy of it because... Like the games are just going to go on long no matter what. And even if, you know, you have Redain taxing them one way or another, like they're they're still able to play spells, right? Or probably like go after it and remove it and whatever, you know? So it's, I've, I've had it in play a bunch. I think it's been doing good work, but without seeing my opponent's side of things, it's it's really difficult to tell like how much impact it's had because... A lot of the decks I've been playing were like the Great Henge showdown style type of decks that were trying to go long anyway and not anything that's like, all right, I'm going to stop you from casting your Wrath, you know, for two turns while yeah, I yeah. get you down. So I, I think it's good. I'm pretty sure it's good. I'm pretty sure it's been messing with people, but uh, it's hard to say for sure. It's an interesting problem for a card to have where you can't really feel how good it is because its effect is invisible on the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I, there's there have certainly been situations where it's like you play it and like the next turn they concede because you already had some stuff going on or whatever and it's like okay well maybe they had nothing or maybe this just stopped them from hard casting doomscar or something uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it stopped them from interacting right but uh, mysteries. What's your opinion been on doomscar either with or against? I think it's solid, man. I don't I don't know why I don't know people seem you know, like kind of down on it. I've, I've seen some people say that like, it's just like not even really that good against the creature decks. I, I mostly disagree, you know, playing someone who's been playing like great henge showdown creature decks. It's like the part of the problem is these cards all want you to play multiple things to the battlefield. It's not like you just yeah. draw a fresh sand of seven, you play out two threats and then you sit there, right? It's like in order to get the effect, you need to play out the creatures uh, and then you get swept and it's like, well, you better have another card advantage thing to make up for that, you know? So it's normally like, I'll get swept twice, maybe maybe be out of gas. And then their bigger things can start taking over. So I don't know. Uh, it was 
it was less good against Gruel when they were more like Robber the Rich, Brush Fire Elemental, stuff like that. I uh, and just like naturally had more haste. So, like maybe that's what I need to go towards. But as as far as like even trying to fight off like Rakdos, Croxa type of stuff, it's like I still want sweepers there, you know? And like yep. Extinction Event obviously had like some utility because of the exile, but it was a big part of why those decks were successful and able to keep the the creature decks kind of at bay and stuff. And, you know, if you're on the draw and you have Doomscar, you feel pretty good, honestly. Yeah, I I think the card is exactly what we thought it was. Uh, Sometimes better, sometimes worse. Still, like, mostly the the default choice for Sweeper, but you'll find occasions where you might want to go in another direction, which I I think is good. That's like a sweet spot for this card to exist in. It makes things interesting. I, I Just its existence is really good because I like the feeling of your opponent foretells something on turn two and you're the creature deck and you're just like, well... Are we going to go for it? Or are we going to hold back here? And if you hold back, you mess up the tempo of your game. And if you go for it and get wiped, then you're blown up. So it's an interesting dynamic at the very least. And I, I'm happy the card exists for sure. I've had at least five different Fortel cards caught, cast against me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just made it so that whenever they foretell a card, I just I can't even bother guessing what it could be. Yeah, uh, so uh, what's your review of that mechanic thus far? I, I think the good stuff has been good. I think uh, Behold the Multiverse in particular has really impressed me. The, the timing of it is just spot on exactly what you want from that effect. Counter Magic is, yeah, uh, it, it finds its home. It, it, the fact that its floor is acceptable and it's just the three mana counter spell, which is the default anyway, I've been pretty okay with the card. And really uh, i guess there's epiphany which i've been i've been into i I think that card is good but that really doesn't have much to do with the foretell whatsoever uh and don't really have many foretell reviews beyond that i i think it's fine like if 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 there was more of an opportunity to play a guessing game and have it be relevant i think i would like it more but instead my control opponents like the people who are leaning into it really hard you know they just foretell for like the first few turns of the game and then either they have the doom score or they lose a lot of the time sure but uh you know because they just spend a bunch of turns doing nothing but i don't know if there was i'm trying to even think of like what a good scenario is like the the charger is trying to be that right by like having flash and stuff where it's like oh is it is it the counterspell or uh the flash creature like you know should i attack or or what but there just doesn't seem to be a lot of that going on it's just like all right your your opponent foretells a bunch of stuff and then you just kind of like play the game as normal like would you play around a sweeper here okay well then play around the sweeper dummy you know like what, what are you doing yeah. uh it, it basically just like doesn't change the way i play very much so it's also weird that like arena is very minimal about what happens when they foretell a card like if i'm not paying a lot of attention you then skip over it yeah, like I just wouldn't even really notice it. And then they just like counterspell me for two mana or something. It's like weird. I don't know if you've thought about this. Where would you put your foretell cards if you were playing IRL? I would put them on the battlefield like they had morph. Like they were an enchantment. Okay. They're technically in exile, right? Yeah. But you're not going to float a card over an exile. That doesn't make any sense. Like with with adventure creatures, if you didn't have the little uh, token thing to put over it, then you kind of had to so that, you know, you weren't kind of like cheating by trying to misrepresent the board state, whether it's on purpose or not, you know? Yeah. Uh, but like it could it could certainly have that effect on your opponent and I would not want to do that. So I would try and like move it off to the side for sure. But like with the foretell stuff, it's like it's it's a face down card, you know, what what is your opponent really going to think it is other than that? And that's assuming that you just don't have the the thing over it. But, like, I, I think it makes sense for it to be, like, in play as an enchantment. It's not like you have, like, 10 permanents plus a Fertel card. It's like, oh, taking up real estate. Yeah, I, I didn't have an answer to this question when I proposed it. It's something uh, anyone who has seen me play live Magic knows that I generally struggle with where to put everything related to Magic. Uh, my hands, my deck, my graveyard, any permanents I may have. 
So uh, this is a big point of concern for me where I am going to ultimately put my cards and like what mechanisms I'm going to use to be able to success to successfully physically navigate a game of magic. Like it's, it's a big problem for me. Um, thankfully, I don't have to answer it yet. We'll see if I get the chance to actually foretell a card IRL. The decks that you're going to be playing with foretell cards are not going to have any permanence anyway. So it's fine. I hope that's true. I hope you're correct. I am correct. Okay. Uh, last one. Giants. You were not high on Giants. Have you come around? Nope. Damn. Have you? Uh, I So they're, they're playing out kind of the way that I thought they were going to, which is like Mardu Dragons style of garbage and similar to Big Red style of garbage. It yeah. looks good. And especially now, like especially, especially now, I think that that sort of deck is not particularly good because you're like, boom, here's my 3-4. And they're like, I have a 5-5 five, five, and I'm playing yes. Great Henge and yes. I'm drawing multiple cards. And it's like, okay, look, there's there's a, a, a two-mana six-damage card, right? Like, that's great. It kills Lovestruck Beast. Delete Eldraine from the format, and then I can start taking things like this seriously. But until that point... It just doesn't make sense, dude. Invasion of the invasion of the giants, bone crusher, quake bringer. No, you just no. get in all that chip damage. It's just like crackling doom, K command, and then you have like you know some some big creatures to finish, some card advantage. Look, I I played that deck more than I should have for sure. Me and, too, man. Uh, it's so bad. It's so yeah. bad, and I'm but gonna build it. The mistake is ten times worse in this scenario where there's just like ridiculous engines all over the place. It it just doesn't line up. It's fine. It's a cool idea. It's why I wish there was still like block constructed so you could do this stuff. It's it's not going to keep pace with Eldraine stuff. Maybe, maybe on rotation, you get another chance. Yeah, I, I don't think it's good, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm not going to be playing any Giants anytime soon, but uh, I, I am ready to get back in the queues now. I think, like I said, we did a good job maximizing that small window, but uh, there's still more things to explore. And it's time for me to get some more games in. Good luck. <laughs> 